Hi, this is Mark Wade, writer of Daredevil, and you're listening to Longbox Heroes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 543 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. Joe and Todd here. Todd, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Ready to do some damage and talking about comics. <laughs> Ready to do some damage? Yeah. Whose, whose feelings are we planning on hurting today? Everybody's or nobody's. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> no, we're a pretty uh, safe show when it comes to that sort of thing. You know, oh, yeah, We're tame. We're tame. We're not ruffling anyone's feathers here. No, except for a few artists. That's about it. But no. Oh, no. You're you're an understander. I'm the ruffler. Right. <laughs> That's like the uh that was the off forgotten B side from uh DJ Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Right. He's the rapper, I'm the DJ. Mm-hmm. He's the understander and I'm the ruffler. <laughs> yes. And I'll just say you gotta make sure your ruffler doesn't fall out and then we'll get on <laughs> with the show. Oh my god. And the sad part is I know what that means. Right. Permeated everyone's life. <laughs> Who has it? Yes. All right. So uh, news this week. Uh, Marvel is further deciding to devote their entire line to get Todd to read all of their books. <laughs> and remember a week or so ago when we said that cards are back with a vengeance? Oh. That's all. Mm-hmm. That's the tease for the news. Uh, digital books and sales, of course, uh, what we read this past week, which is King in Black number four and, uh, Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin number two, what we're looking forward to coming out this week, uh, Todd and Joe have issues as we discuss, discuss issue 12 of Jonah Hex and, uh, the next or the final two issues in Web of Life. Yes. For the spider clone saga yes uh todd's art attack and a spoiler filled discussion of the latest episode of wander vision mm-hmm. so it doesn't sound like a lot but trust me it is yeah we'll make it we'll make it work so just a week ago they announced that one of the newest members of the 500 member team of the guardians of the galaxy is going to include Doctor Doom. And not to be outdone, the Fantastic Four is also teasing the wedding of Doctor Doom. Mm-hmm. And it's not to me. <laughs> you know, so. uh, it does look, there are a lot of sad covers on that, or there's a lot of sad faces uh, on that promotional image to announce this. Right, well, everybody wants to be Doom's wife. And when you said Guardians that he's joining as a member... I mean, he's obviously going to be the leader, so let's not, you know, let's not, you know, mix words there. But yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see who this could be because his one true love was uh, Valeria, and didn't he uh, steal her magic and make a living armor out of her at one point during the Mark Way run? So that's true. I don't know who he's married, and that's true love to me. If you make magical armor out of someone's skin. There's no greater, you know, compliment than I'm going to make you my magic armor. Oh, that's a compliment. See, I'd say that's more of a deal breaker than anything else. Compliment. I mean, that's that's love. 
So in the uh, solicitation text or what have you for it, uh, it says this May you're invited to the wedding of Dr. Victor Von Doom Mm -hmm. and uh, Marvel's chief megalomaniac. I don't know if he's the chief megalomaniac, but anyway, (laughs) that's kind of, well, that's kind of mean. I know. (laughs) Won't be the only Fantastic Four character whose love life will be changed forever. The human tourist must suddenly choose between his soulmate and his ex-wife. And because a simple love triangle isn't enough, Johnny's first heartbreak crystal uh, comes back to rekindle their flame. All this plus an ominous decree by doom and a second tale in which Reed Richards duels his arch nemesis for the strangest prize imaginable. Don't miss this uh, epic bride of doom. Bethrall, which is, I guess, bethrown and betrayal combined. I don't know. Maybe it's a word. Maybe it's a, a word only read and doom know. Like, that's yeah. above our pay grade. Well, this comes out of my wife's birthday, so I know what I won't be getting her. <sighs> she <laughs> loves a good romance story. Mm. <laughs> no this comment. Is, this is going to be a great romance story. I do like in that promotional image, though. Uh, that Doom is wearing his uh, very rarely seen military full dress with like medals and so forth and a sash. Right. On his outfit. I like that quite a bit. Well, that's his like, that's what he wears to the UN. You know what I mean? Like, oh, and, okay. if, and if he can issue medals, why wouldn't he issue to himself? And most of his armor is metal, except for the time that it was his lover. So, right. So what what are your thoughts on this? What are your feelings on this? I I haven't been reading Fantastic Four in a while. Is this something that's been building up, or is this one of those uh one of those out of left field wrestling gotchas that you're so fond of? This is an out of left field Marvel gotcha because there is no like he had um like a bit of a story a little while ago, but. Uh, you know, like a follow-up to some of the things going on. But I have no idea. The only time that I could see him having having a girlfriend was when Bendis was writing, um, what was the Iron Man that he, where Doom had the armor. And he had that one uh, doctor that was having his kid. We later found out that he she lost or whatever. That's the only person I could see being a love interest. So this is out of left field if it's not her. Hmm. They make sure. Sh- Make sure to have her face veiled, so we don't know, you know? Now, I, you know, I'm just going to throw this out and say, could this be a ruse by Doom to take the heat off of Johnny Storm, uh, who is getting married? This is Doom maybe marrying a Doombot lady just to kind of take the headlines away? Stop it. No, if Doom's getting married, he's got a plan. And maybe it's one of the other women that uh, that uh, Torch wants. I don't know. I'm, But I will say this. I am all in on this storyline. I have no problem picking it up. And this might be one where I might go deep into my pocket for variant covers. If they do a whole bunch of, oh, my God, I need the Doctor Doom uh, bachelor party. All Bachelor Party stories at Marvel are fantastic, so I need one for Doctor Doom. This is going to be this is going to be very interesting. Is all I'm going to say. So it's going on your list, right? Nah, maybe. 
Yeah. Well, I know you'll be reading it because it'll be my pick of the week, Joe. That's right. You've uh, tipped your hand for three months from now. Or have I? Oh, or am boy. I just setting you up for a fall? Am I having a Doctor Doom-like plan to get a quick, you know, one-up on you? Maybe. Machiavellian, I am. So, I mentioned beginning of the show we talked about it last week <laughs> cards are back uh i don't know how it happened i don't know why it's happening but marvel ain't helping matters right mm-hmm. so with the uh upcoming heroes reborn series written by jason aaron uh with art by ed mcginnis now i will say this there's tons of like one shots and stuff that go along with it right and none of the creative teams or the concepts that are being floated for it are lighting my world on fire. And I'm just going to stick with the main series, which, again, is a seven-issue series at six bucks a clip. <laughs> so I'm making that sacrifice for myself. Um, but part of the promotion for this, um, Marvel is going to be doing trading cards uh, every retailer is going to get a pack of 25 Hero Reborn trading cards. And if they want to, the retailers can also order additional packs. Right. One would assume the intent is to give away with to people who purchase the Heroes Reborn whatever. Right? right. Yep. Now, we've seen uh, some of the, the cards, not all of the cards. Uh, they are very reminiscent of the schematic of Marvel Universe Series 3, where you would get, like, nine cards and they would build, like, a bigger image. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they're kind of done up like that. Now, I've seen eight of them, and they are purposely blocking out who the middle image is, as though, like, this is the person behind it all. Right. And whether I do eight or nine, that does not evenly go into 25. Well, okay, because you always get this wrong. It's going to be a pack of nine cards, 25 of them. That's what they're going to do. Okay, so it's it's one pack that has 25 packs of nine. Right, if that's what the set of cards is going to be, that's what it's going to be. Okay. Because I don't know how many cards there are actually going to be, because we only see four, right? Yeah. Um... So uh, probably nine, because like you said, it doesn't work out to be all four corners and stuff like that. But it's the same way. I'm trying to remember what, uh, yeah, it's just that that's the way they did it with, uh, I forget what cards. Was there an X-Men set of cards that had the, uh, that had like the translations for Krakoa on the back? That was a set of the same thing. It was like, here's a set of cards. You get 25 each because they're not going to mix and match or anything like that. They're just going to quickly put them out of like, you know, wax, seal them up, put them in a bag. You know what I mean? So if I'm making any sense, you know. You are making sense. And I think mm-hmm. I misread that. I really thought it was going to be like 25 cards, not 25 packs of nine cards. Mm-hmm. So that. And retailers obviously could order more. I guess it's good that they're not polybagged with the book. Right. That you're leaving it in the hands of the retailers. And one would hope that you do not have an unscrupulous retailer. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I don't. Oh, go ahead. I was just saying, I don't think you're ever going to see books polybagged with stuff anymore. Because I, I, I think that's like going to be too much money in the budget. Like back in the day, like it would be like, because you have to have the card made somewhere else, then shipped to where you're having the book printed or packed up. I think it's just like, all right, our cards things are over here and our book thing is over here. And that day is long gone. It is bottom line, cheapest way to do anything anymore. Well, didn't Marvel purchase like 15 different card companies? Oh, and that's what caused them to go bankrupt. That's right. That is true. So it's that, yeah, the cards are over here, the comics are over here, we're going to send them to the retailer, and now it's your problem. Yep. Like you said, hopefully you have a retailer who's not going to hoard them, because there might be some rookies in there. <laughs> that blade's a rookie, I've never seen that blade, that's the Heroes Reborn blade, that's a... Now, I don't understand, when, when you do rookie cards, is it rookie every time, but if you do an alternate universe version of that character, is that a rookie... Like, we really need to establish rookie rules here with comic cards. So I would say that would be the Blade rookie card if that becomes the normal Marvel Universe rookie card. See, these cards are all fine. There's going to be people that are going to want the full set and whatever. <laughs> and it doesn't even work because it's a seven-issue miniseries and there's nine cards. So what are you going to do with those two extra cards? One would assume, like, are you going to put them all with one of the issues? Anyway. You get one of those uh, binder pages with nine slots in it. You could build whatever it is. That's how you store them. That's how you should store it. But I, I usually like to keep these things with the books themselves. Mm-hmm. Instead of having just a, a stray binder page, no matter where it is. But I would assume that if these alternate reality Heroes Reborn type folks become the regular Marvel Universe figures, you know, replacements or something then that would have technically become the rookie cards even if they don't become a replacement what if they become what if they become like a spider gwen which she was from another universe right? that's true that's true but that's she's not point. spider woman or whatever she's whatever they made did they change her name to something what's her her name's not spider gwen anymore you're right it's something else right so yeah so i like i said i can't keep up with these rookie rules joe but I know I'm going to get rich on them. That's all I know. That's the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Get my gem mint 10, you know, blade card. She's now called Ghost Spider. Oh, that's even better. Mm. Why didn't they call her Spider Ghost? That would have been. Right, because she's 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 a ghost of a spider, not a spider of a ghost, maybe. Exactly. Now you're. You're getting what I'm saying. Right. I don't know, man. This it just this could be setting a very dangerous precedent at Marvel. I don't know. Now I want to go upstairs and look through my cards to see if I can get rich quick. I meant I I've been meaning to go down in the basement and organize the cards because I know I have a full set with the holograms of at least series one, two, and three. Mm-hmm. And then I have to go find that uh, copy of Men in Black that I bought off the streets of Philadelphia. <laughs> oh, what about the copy of uh, Wolverine that you have without the uh, claws? I think that one was uh, gifted to me digitally. Oh, okay. 
Um, so that's really all there is in news. Uh, kind of a lean week, at least comic side of things. You know, announcements of different movies and stuff. Did you see the announcement of the uh, Blue Beetle movie? Yes, I did. I saw the Jaime Reyes uh, versions getting a movie. So yeah, yeah. We'll and see. I guess it's like it's like uh, you're like here's the announcement. Here's the cast. Here's the director. And filming starts tomorrow. You know what I say? Call me when Snyder does Booster and Beetle. That's what I want to see. Snyder, huh? Yeah. From one day at a time, as I always say. Yeah, so it's just... it's just, And listen, I'm happy that this iteration of Blue Beetle is being made into a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, this just feels as though this was not in the plans. And DC's not really good at keeping secrets. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. I have no idea. It just seems unceremoniously like, here you go. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, but that's the thing. Those are the ones that don't and aren't super tied to what of the larger machinations are that end up being a little bit better, you know? Yeah, you know. He was the one that was in uh, Sinestro Corps War, so that's that's how you know it's good. You know, they, hmm. they do it the right way. So, um, hey, um, be sure to check out Soon to Be Named Network, Soon to Be Named Network.com, Soon to Be Named Network.tumblr.com. Uh, anytime any of the shows in the network go up, uh, whether it be this show, Longbox Heroes After Dark, Puzzle Warriors 3, Profane Arguments, Final Wrestling Place, Wednesday Night War, anytime any of those shows go up, at odds with wrestling. You can find them there, and anytime folks from those shows appear on other shows, you can find them there as well. Tomorrow, um, as this episode drops, you'll probably hear this first, uh, my appearance on Five Star Match Game will be released, mm-hmm. where I test all- my, uh, tested my knowledge of, very specifically, the 10 February World <laughs> Championship Wrestling pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. And ten World Wrestling Entertainment pay-per-views from 1996 to 2005. I have my fingers crossed that you won all the five stars. Got to tune in. Got to tune in. That's okay. all I'll say. Uh, but anytime, you know. Also, um, you know, be sure to check out the show notes that accompany this episode. Uh, information on our local comic book shop, Comics on the Green. Uh, he always has sales and deals and so forth going on. You can check him out over on his Facebook page. That's where I'd say he's most active as a businessman. And if you do not have a comic book shop in your area um, or a good comic book shop in your area, he also does a very good mail order uh, subscription business. Be sure to check him out. You can tell him that we sent you or not. It won't help you either way. Mm-hmm. Or it won't uh, hurt you. So it won't hurt you, but it won't help you either. Uh, you can also check out some of our friend Becky's original art that she does. A lot of times she has her art on some of those same packages that go out from Comics on the Green. I don't know what sort of deal uh, they have there. I don't know if Dave had a mortgage's house one time, two times, three times, but he finally came up with the correct number of bells to be able to convince Becky to uh, keep her art uh, alongside his uh, his mail order packages. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also check out friends of ours that have done some creative stuff. Uh, Jason Sandberg's Jupiter, Chris Runt's Battle Monster. Both of those comics are available on Comixology. And a uh, friend of the show, Rick Williams, The Chop Shop. 
He does a lot of cool resin, uh, sci-fi, fantasy, wrestling, etc. things. Like I said, be sure to check them out. Creative endeavors that friends of ours, friends of the show, etc. are up to. Mm-hmm. Did I interrupt you there for a second? No, you're good. All right. Digital books and sales this week include uh, not a ton of new stuff added from last week. Uh, a lot of holdovers from the last couple of weeks, but the two new ones would be a Marvel and human sale. Uh, what if Dr. Doom is marrying one of Johnny Storm's uh, past wives or love interests? Could be. And that's why it's all intertwined, you know? Right, right. And uh, DC's new sale this week is the the greatest or the Joker's greatest jokes sale. Okay, that's the name of the sale. Um, Dark Knight Returns is in there. Batman Year One is not in there. If only you were keeping track. If only I I was supposed to keep track. I didn't. That's on me. Mm-hmm. Uh, why give myself more work, Todd? I don't know. That's what you like to do, I think. I don't know. It, it keeps my skills sharp. <laughs> yeah, sharp. <laughs> I could even thing. get that sentence out without laughing. Ugh. <laughs> All right, let's get into what we read from this past week. Enough of this uh, tomfoolery. Right. Uh, where would you like to begin? King in Black or The Last Ronin? I say we start with the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Dark Turtle Returns. I mean, Last Ronin. Uh, right. So... Issue two, uh, written by the original creators, Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Um, now, it looks like at least for the main series, like our, like the main story, I would say, it says Esau and Isaac as a Korra mm-hmm. were the artists, but it also has Kevin Eastman in here. And then also lists a lot of other writer or artists rather, but there are a ton of variant covers for this. Right. I'm not sure how that works. I definitely know when the Eastman stuff starts because that's the black and white stuff that's Mm -hmm. that's in this book. But basically it's finishing since last issue where we found out who the the final turtle alive was. It has, you know, the other turtles living in his head rent free that have passed on. Um, April has found them. And we get more story, like story on what April's been like her life now. And then in that, it's been a back, you know, they keep flashing back and forth to uh, how it pretty much uh, how the uh, the other turtles died. It looks like unless we're going to get more because it seems like we didn't exactly see it. But it's mentioned that like after we flash back to the present that it's like, oh, and then this happened and we're like, OK, but I will admit the stuff with the flashback and seeing the old turtles being attacked by the, the foot clan and April and everything like that. It, as an old Mirage fan of this, the turtle stuff, this stuff like felt very much like that. And it tugged at me. I was very nostalgic for everything that happened in this. And then when we get to the, uh, modern day stuff in this april things and we get some revelations about her i thought that was done very well the way some things are hidden by like pillows and and blankets as she's getting out of bed and who she's asking to to help her there's a great shot of like the the equipment stuff like that i i was just all around i i liked issue one but i loved issue two 
Like, I don't know. It just, I, this sounds like what the dumb things that people say. Uh, this issue spoke to me. I just absolutely adored this issue. Um, you know, obviously I'm not the Ninja Turtles guy that you are, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, I thought this was good. Um, we get to see a little bit more of where some of the characters that are still alive have gone. We get mm-hmm. that flashback sequence with uh, April and Casey Jones. We're introduced to new Casey. Mm-hmm. And I know it's been four months since the last issue, three months since the last issue. Right. Did we say who the last turtle is? Do we want to spoil who that is? Are we keeping that one to ourselves? Um, uh, we did not spoil it last time because I remember that. But you know what? I think because does it really matter if we say who it is? Because uh, it, like in that, read it and, and find out for yourself. That's the way I said. Because it, if I say if I say who it is, it doesn't change anything about our review of the book. So might as well leave it a secret if you want to be surprised. That's true. Okay. You know? Again, I was just kind of asking because if we already gave it away, then I'm like, all right, well, let's talk about it, right? Right, unless you want to. No, no. Um, I'll say this is still good. And is this three issues or four issues? You know what? I honestly, God, can't tell you anymore because everything's gotten crazy with this. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking it's it, it's it's definitely either three or four, though. It's not more. Because I know they have three solicited, right? Right. With no, it says May of 2021, and I don't want to say question mark, but I just did. <laughs> right. Um, and from the solicitation, it looks like it says, like, this issue's action and intrigue will set up the astounding final issues, plural. Oh, okay, maybe it is more. So it's very unclear of how many issues this is going to be. But what is very clear is I'm going to read them all. Yes, well, of course. Um, but yeah, so again, it was good. Um, but I just don't have, I think if you were a fan of the Ninja Turtles, especially the non sanitized for Saturday morning TV versions, I think you'll love this. Right. The pizza turtles. Yeah. The pizza turtles. Right. Because during the Mirage run, I think they ate pizza like once, you know what I mean? That's all it takes though. That is true. You become a fan for life afterwards. (laughs) They're like Chacos for the Martian Manhunter. Mm-hmm. So the uh, other book that we both read was uh, King in Black number four, mm-hmm. written by Donnie Cates with art by Ryan Stegman, uh, art to be purchased by one guy. Or gal. I like to throw that in there. That's still such a fascinating story to me that all the art of the miniseries is being sold to one person who's going to take it on tour. Right. I think they're building a museum. Mm -hmm. That's literally what I heard. So we'll see. Uh, So in this issue, uh, we get, um, you know, a face-to-face confrontation um, with Null and Eddie's son, whose name always escapes me. Dylan. Dylan. And Dylan ends up reaching out through to start freeing some of the people that had been nullified. But still, that is not enough. And they get an assist from a god of light to take on a god of darkness. 
as the Silver Surfer shows up, we get even more mega-powered Marvel types, and even somehow all of that's not enough until we get, like, that last three- to four-page reveal of uh, what happens to Eddie. And I'll say this, I did not see that coming. I didn't either, but I'm completely intrigued by the the yin to the yang of Null, if you will. Yes. I was like, okay, when they're like, okay, this is what we're going to use to, like, try and stop them. And it's been in, like, an age-old kind of, you know, battle between them. And I'm like, I'm like okay, I don't know. I, I'm not the Marvel guy that other people are, but I know what this is. And I've seen it before, and I'm intrigued by it. But I don't have, like, a like a deep, rich history knowledge of it. But I know what it is, so I'm like, okay, you have me. It's not like I wasn't going to buy the next issue, but, you know... <laughs> Definitely want to read it a little faster now. Right. So um, we're already kind of far away from what's going on, I think, in a lot of the other miniseries. Is, you mm-hmm. know, we had that first issue that kind of set up some of the plot threads of where and why those other miniseries are happening. But I think the reason this works, and listen, I'm enjoying this. This is what Absolute Carnage should have been. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that Donny Cates is getting a chance to kind of wrap up his Venom story with something that I think will be an easier read, a better read, a more fondly remembered read than Absolute Carnage. Right. And I think a lot of it is just because this is very much more straightforward. This is very much more self-contained. This is very much more feeling as though there are actual stakes involved. And it's feeling as though that there's going to be some sort of finality to all of this. Yeah, I I agree, especially with we know him leaving the book very soon. Yeah, and I think even if we didn't have that information, mm-hmm. you know, there's big things happening in this, at least in the Venom universe. Yes. And, and the I... way that it's touching the rest of the Marvel universe, it's touching the rest of the Mar- Marvel universe in a way that doesn't feel as though it's hurting or hindering, I think this King in Black is being enhanced by being able to throw a Wolverine and a Captain America and a Silver Surfer and an X-Men and a this and a that and a Thor in these things to give this book that much more gravitas where, like I said, I remember from Absolute Carnage, it was more or less a Spider-Man Venom thing and very rarely where you would see anyone else. And when you did, it would be almost inconsequential. Yes. This, this feels more like, you know, even, even though I'm not reading all the mini, all the mini series, it feels more like universe wide on earth yeah. than it, than absolute carnage did. And I will say this, I, I don't know. Cause people love carnage and venom. So I don't know. Like I, I, I didn't hear a lot of people knocking absolute carnage as much as we did. We thought it was, I always thought it was overhyped and you know, people were always like, like it way too much, but I'm with you. I definitely love King and black, everything that they done. The only knock I have with King in black is it makes the actual venom book irrelevant. Like, you could read this this whole King and Black book and not read Donny Cates' Venom. Like, and even if you do read Donny Cates' Venom, it does not enhance the King and Black book at all. Literally, the last couple issues of Venom all take place within literally 30 seconds. 
you know, there's the one where he falls off the roof. And then the next one, he's like, oh, I'm in the Venom, like, you know, hive mind. And that all took, you know, 30 seconds. And I'm like, ooh, okay, these are real filler stories for a book that should have been done maybe more like Blackest Night, where it weaved into Venom and out of Venom, or out of Green Lantern into Blackest Night and back into Green Lantern. But I guess they just wanted a mini series that you could. Here's King in Black for when it sells. We're all done, if that makes any sense. I don't know if you agree or not, but. Um,. Yes, in that regard, I mean, the issues of Venom feel as though they're happening in between not even pages, but panels of Mm -hmm. King in Black. Yep, moments, seconds, if you will. Yeah, and it kind of stinks that the Venom book itself is getting a little bit of a short shrift Mm -hmm. in that regard, but one can only assume that one of the bigger revelations that happened in uh, Venom, because there was something bigger that happened in the previous issue of Venom regarding Eddie and Flash Thompson, Mm -hmm. that that may factor into the very least the finale of this. Right. But there's still more story to tell. Right. Here's the way I look at it is that the book that's kickstarted all this by the writer of the big miniseries shouldn't be more irrelevant than the Thunderbolts miniseries. Like, I actually feel the Thunderbolts miniseries that we've read for the show has more like to do with what's going on in King and Black than than the actual Venom book. You make a good point. Right. But anyway. So that's what we read from this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, we put up the pull post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is that you get your books, be forewarned, be forearmed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. We are currently tied up at six uh, a piece. Now, I have to ask only because looking at your list, mm-hmm. you have something in here that's called Two Moons, but it appears to be spelled wrong. Did I spell it wrong? T-W-O-M-O-O-N-S? When you sent it over to me, you had it as T-O-O Moons. Okay, maybe my uh, spell check did it accidentally. Yes. It's, it's as in Dos Moons. Right. That's what I have figured, mm-hmm. but I was having some issues in finding uh, information th- on it because of the spelling concern. I figured that, so I have on my phone right now as I'm looking at it the image solicit for it. Would you want? Would you want to hear what it is? No, I was able to find it. Oh, okay. And I'm correcting it as we speak, so no one will even know that there was an error, unless I edit this part out, which I'm not going to edit this part out. Right. So. That that being said, it's still a tough week. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess the book that you're most looking forward to coming out this week is Department of Truth number six. It is not Department of Truth number six. Okay. You were on the right trail in the beginning, Joe. It is actually two moons. Oh, it is actually two moons? Yes. I don't know why, just something in the solicit and the, the like the photo of the cover and everything just really grabbed me. So 
Sure, sure. And again, uh, John Arcudi, I know from his uh, days writing the uh, Major Bummer series that I'm a fan of. Right, he did that. He did a really good run of Doom Patrol that I enjoyed. Mm. Where my favorite bit in the Doom Patrol man was there was a character who had powers, but because he was such a jerk and he brought every the room down all the time, they were like, "You're the new Doom Patrol's negative man." I love that bit, and he was like, "No, I have these powers. I want this name." Nope, you're the negative man. <laughs> so, love that stuff. Um, I'm looking over your list. And is the book you're looking forward to most crossover number four? It is crossover number four. We had the big revelation that I think we could spoil here because it's all over the covers of the next, this issue. Yep. Um, that the young girl who drew who the hero was that was getting everyone in and out of the bubble to safety she drew him and we saw the drawing of this character at the end of issue one and it certainly looked like superman but at the end of issue three it was revealed not to be superman but to be madman the dark horse comics character created by mike allred Mm -hmm. uh so that's quite the interesting twist there so uh yeah i'm just intrigued to see uh what happens next because i don't think there's been a madman book for quite some time I don't know off the top. I was never a madman guy. Yeah, you know, and that's the thing. So I ran kind of hot or cold with Madman, and a lot of it was just due to the infrequency in which it came out. Mm-hmm. My biggest problem with it always was I was never a Mike Allred art guy. Oh, see, I love Mike Allred's art. I think he's uh, one of the unsung, and I would hate to say minimalistic, but there's just, He's got a very expressive art style of the face. Mm -hmm. Um, I really think when he is given the reins, he he comes up with a lot of very unique, very uh, kooky and outside the box designs on characters and stuff. Uh, But like the problem is, you know, his art style doesn't lend itself to a deadline. No. And I also always say my problem with his art is his art looks like, what would be in a comic in a movie or a TV show if the people making the movie or TV show had never seen the inside of a comic before. They're like, this is what we think all art in all comics looks like. Like, but we have never read a comic. I don't know if that makes any sense. It does. Mm-hmm. It Very absolutely sounds. Yes. Oh God, sorry. No, that's it. I just agreeing with you. That does. Yeah, as you often always should. But, but I typically don't. So mm-hmm. uh, so while you're over at longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have done together, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of After Dark, and the ongoing saga, not saga, and not the clone <laughs> saga, but Todd and Joe have issues <laughs> where we're discussing Jonah Hex and the Spider-Clone saga as uh that is chugging along as it as only it can right so i will say this todd i have very limited notes this week okay um we're gonna start with jonah first if that's okay with you that's fine uh so uh jonah hex issue 12 of course written by uh jimmy palmiotti and justin gray with art by paul gulesi mm-hmm Another one-off storyline. So I'll say this. 
Uh, whilst Paul Gulacy draws an irregularly not horrific uh, Jonah Hex. Right. I think if we saw Paul Gulacy do another issue of this, he would possibly draw Jonah a little bit more horrific because he saved all the horrificness for the villains of the issue. Yes, yes. And you may get to see him do another issue at some point. Okay. So um, the issue is entitled Bloodstained Snow. Uh, there's a bunch of folks that are, have come to town to, what is it, Dice Valley? Yes. Um, looking to buy supplies, and they're turned away by a group of bounty hunters. Uh, Ringo, Red Crow, Crazy Susan, Earl the Wretch, and Doc Grummet, who have been hired by Mr. Dice of Dice Valley to keep any folks out, specifically Mormons. Mm -hmm. More on that later. Uh, they are headhunting 500 bucks a piece, $200 for kids, which is pretty horrific, um, to say the least. Uh, there is a gun battle. There is a barbed wire fisticuff that we see that causes some heavy scarring, possibly even some a little bit later on. And then Doc Grummet, uh, in addition to being a doctor of ill repute, uh, he is also possibly uh, updating his dentistry skills. Right. So we then cut to Jonah uh, going up the side of the mountain. His horse is for nowhere. He comes upon the settlement. Of the aforementioned Mormons who take him in, they immediately think that he is yet another bounty hunter come to run them off um, as they are just trying to survive and get supplies. And they, the Mormons, have a bad reputation because of the story of the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Mm -hmm. And the Mountain Meadows Massacre was an instance where several of the Mormons had teamed up with some local natives to massacre, as it is stated right there, uh, many, many people. And that has just kind of given a red mark to any and all Mormons. So Jonah takes it upon himself, thinking that these are the good folk who have gotten a bad shake, goes down into Dice Valley and makes the plea to the shopkeep, Mr. Dice, that he'll take all the blankets you have, 50 pounds of beef, and he doesn't get a chance to get the rest out. And in a typically Western style, the two have a very tense and very heated back and forth uh, in regards to who Jonah's allegiance are to, who he's in bed with, if you will. And this is where Jonah finds out about the Mountain Meadows Massacre from this person. Mm -hmm. The aforementioned bounty hunters show up. Uh, Jonah is unarmed and they decide you're going to take us back to, uh, this encampment where we know those Mormons are, we're going to get that bounty and bring them back. However, they are ambushed, uh, by said Mormons unbeknownst to Jonah. The bounty hunters are like, you set us up. Jonah says that he has no, uh, he had no knowledge of this yet another big shootout. And it's at this point where Jonah, uh, he gets his face a little shredded by the aforementioned barbed wire fisticuffs. Mm -hmm. And there is one person in the group uh, who was a part of the aforementioned 
uh, Mountain Meadows Massacre. He and Jonah have a back and forth, not unlike that of he, Jonah, and El Diablo from the previous issue, but a little bit more curt, a little bit more direct, uh, where Jonah accuses them of murder. They accuse Jonah of how many people he killed in the war. And of course, to Jonah, that's different, right? Right. Uh, Jonah goes back to town, uh, gets his revenge, attempts to collect the bounty for the the heads at $500 a clip. He attempts to get the aforementioned blankets and 50 pounds of beef, ends up killing the shopkeep and leaving town. Right. Very straightforward of an uh, of an issue. A little bit more of Jonah having his morals questioned, the people that he's working for. Now, again, I don't recall if in this issue there was like a time stamp, right? Right. So is this an instance perhaps of Paul Gulacy drawing Jonah not as disfigured and then maybe him getting a little cut up during the battle adds to future disfigurements we would see on Jonah? Uh, I don't is this think... canon or am I just attempting to tr- draw more into this? I think you're attempting to draw more into this. I do believe the next storyline might explain Jonah's disfigurement. Um, but I think this is just something that he did, you know, to just add a little gore to the book. You know what I mean? Uh, because he just always had that look of the messed up eye and the, you know, the, the hole in his cheek and everything. So yeah, yeah. I don't think it has anything to do with that. But we will say, I do like the fact that in this, uh, that Jonah, kind of like he does it just because they, I always felt that he, they saved him in the snowstorm. So he owed them to go in and try to get the beef and the the blankets and stuff like that. But uh, this is a fun little one shot. And I know you were saying you weren't happy with the the way he drew his face. It wasn't disfigured enough. Um, I, I'm a big fan of Paul Gulacy's art. So I even have a piece that I got done by him because I was supposed to get a page from the next issue that he did, but he did not have it anymore. So he sent me, he's like, ah, oh, cause it was a cheap page for the same price. I'll just do you a commission. I was like, okay. So I like Paul Gulacy. And his, so his uh, it's journal. not that I didn't like his art. I'm just no. saying, you know, of of who we've seen so far, he's drawn Jonah the least, um, the least disfigured. Right. And I've seen some people who do, because I always equate, there's, I have three different, uh, three or two different uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez versions of Jonah that he's drawn for me or I bought out of the portfolio or whatever. And they're two slightly different. One, he's very like kind of messed up on one side and he's ugly. And then the other one, that's just a quick sketch that he did that I really like. And it's the way I like when a lot of people draw Jonah is that other than the eye and the burnt side of his face with the hole in it, he's very handsome. Every, like, literally, it's one quarter of his face just destroyed. The other three quarters, very, very slick and handsome. And Jose did that one once, and I was like, I really, really like that. So I kind of like when they do, if it wasn't for this spot, you'd be a very good-looking dude. And he is still a pretty good-looking dude. Yeah, well, I agree. He'll always be a number one in my heart. All right. So now it's on to you and uh, taking point on the uh, spider saga, spider clone saga issues. 
Yep, the, the parts web of, three and four of Web of Life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So Web of Spider Man one twenty one is the first one. It starts out with Kane, you know, stopping a bunch of thugs, beating up a homeless woman who's like who, who has like they're taking her junk, and she's like, I have a clock, and you know, it's like, but there's it, it's it's worthless, and she's like, we'll stop. And there was a heartbreaking little moment where they pulled out a picture of obviously, which was like her daughter or maybe it was a younger version of her it doesn't matter it was just like don't mess with that um and they're like oh what are you gonna do about it and then kane just shows up and just wipes them out and you're like oh okay like you know maybe there's a side to kane that like you know he's he's bad maybe he's like the punisher but he's gonna help this lady and then he just steps on that picture that she really really cares about as she's as he's leaving i was like nope kane's a jerk you know so uh then they cut to uh, Grim Hunter. Oh my God, that costume, man! Um, and he's with his fourth-rate Alfred Butler named Gregor, I guess. And I don't even know. There's a lot of stuff that I, you know, I I'll read the uh, the uh, the Sp- Spider Clone Saga. But when he was just going off like for three pages, I was like, let me paraphrase this, and I read every third like word balloon or like text or whatever because there was a lot of nothing going on there um then we get a shot of jacob raven what about me detective uh he's in the in the new york police department he's come he's they found a fingerprint uh that they believe is canes because with all the dead bodies and now they're going to go look and see who the owner of that fingerprint is leaves, leaves it very vague so that's interesting um uh Ben is on his way to Peter's because he he uh, he believes that Grim Hunter is going to kill him from the last issue because he had the wrong scent and he's like, well, if he's not going after me, then he's going after Peter. And there's only one place that that could be, and that's at his brownstone or something like that. So he's waiting, and then Kane gets there and attacks him, but gets the jump completely on Ben, and his spider sense like doesn't even work. He just you know, it's like, oh my, like, I, I don't understand what's going on here. And apparently at this point we find out, cause I don't think it was mentioned anywhere else that they know each other. Um, he's like, you kind of a deal. Like, w- what are you doing here? And then, uh, they fight and Kane just like kicks, like just lays a whooping on Ben. And then it's at that point that Grim Hunter shows up, um, and just, you know, shows up and, and stares down, uh, Kane, and that's like in next issue they're going to go at it, kind of a deal. So, anything I miss in there? Or? No, that's pretty much it. Yep. Okay. Um, so then we jump to Spider-Man number uh, the adjective list Spider-Man fifty-five. Um, it's Kane versus Gr- Grim Hunter. Uh, Peter's like, I don't know why I even came here. Oh, woe is me. He's like starting to get back on the oh, woe is me track. Um, but at some point, like they, they fight for a little bit and then they lead, like they get away and he ends up, uh, spider tracking. He doesn't call it a tracer, uh, cane. So he's like, okay, uh, you know, I'll find them later. He goes back, runs into trainer. Who's the scientist who he had called. And he's like, oh, good. I'm here. We can start working on the, the, the tests kind of a deal. Um, and he's like, no, no, no. Kane's back in town. And he's like, oh, like I, you know, I, or if he, Kane's not back in town, he's following me. So now apparently trainer knows who Kane is too. And he has a lab ready to go, like a, 
old lab ready to go. Um, so Peter goes out and finds, uh, once again, Kane and, and the Grim Hunter, they're going at it. Uh, once again, they, they go to another time limit draw or whatever. They, they don't finish the fight um, because Kane gets pushed in the water and Ben's going to try and find him. He's like, here I am trying to find this guy after all these years, even though he's a pain in my side. But, you know, I still got to try and save him. Um, while he can't find him, we find that Grim Hunter and Kane have found each other again. And they fight. And in the end, uh, what is it? Uh, Kane ends up killing uh, Grim Hunter. But Gregor shows up and he's like, oh, I'm going to. I'm going to get revenge and all that kind of stuff for all this. I don't know if I'm going to get revenge. There's something from it. I feel like he's going to be the next terribly dressed grim hunter. And also during all this, I I forgot to mention that we find out that Ben invented the stingers and, or the impact webbing because of Kane, which I found interesting. Like it's revealed now that like, he's not just wandering around following Peter, He's got a past history with Ben somehow. I believe that's everything. So, uh, sad to say, um, these uh, two issues, the back half of Web of Life, mm-hmm. uh, are um, inconsequential. Okay. Feels as though, like, a lot of nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Um... You know, we get, like, a little bit of backstory stuff. We get a little bit um, of Detective Jacob Raven, what about me? <laughs> Coming to town saying, we found the fingerprint match. We're going to take the guy into into custody. And I think we got to wait at least another three weeks in our time before that actually comes to fruition. Right. Um. But Grim Hunter ends up being maybe one of the most disposable, like, threats. Was he around before this? No. Okay, because I thought he was. Because at one point he says, while he's talking to the grave of uh, the real Craven, um, he's like, oh, like, the last time I fought the spider, he put me in jail. And it was like a low blow because they're like, you know, they're royalty or aristocrats from wherever they come in. He said it took the family fortune to get me out of jail. So I didn't feel that he was a disposed, not a disposed, that he's been around at least. So he did have, um, oh boy. Okay. So maybe if this, where we are now is Spider-Man 55, right? Mm-hmm. He had a first appearance in Spider-Man 47. Disposable. Where um, he was a bit player in a Hobgoblin story. Mm-hmm. Where it wasn't, you know, this was before they did the big reveal that the Hobgoblin that we've always known has been a different person. He goes to um, one of Craven's estates in Russia to try to find like some sort of piece of something, and that's where he comes upon Vladimir for the first time and tells him of what happened to his father. Okay, so that's his first appearance there. Like I said, practically inconsequential. 
I don't think he shows up again in a Spider-Man book for another 15 years. Grim Hunter? Grim Hunter. Um, so, we we find out that there are more Craven kids out there. Mm-hmm. And they end up revive. They bring Vladimir here back to life as a humanoid lion creature. Even better. Who is then killed by an also brought back to life Craven. Now, I think there might have been a miniseries that takes place this maybe during the early 2000s during the. Um, Bob Harris days at Marvel during like the times of Marvel. Remember Marvel? Yeah. Hang on. I remember those. That was going head to head with Captain Marvel. Yeah. By Peter David. A much better book, by the way. Right. So there was a mini series. Where Craven's son is just back as a like with a new origin. Mm-hmm. Um, where he is like a movie mogul. I remember that. Yeah. And then isn't it was there... called Get Craven? Oh, like Get Shorty. Yes. Okay. Now, after that, wasn't there? Because when I was reading the Spencer run, wasn't there a bit where Craven went out into the world and had like 900 kids? Right. So, yeah, and that's then, what, yeah. And then he was like, oh, they all come back together. And he's like, the one standing, and the one Craven ends up killing the, all the other Craven kids. And he's like, all right, you're the one. Like, that's because they that's what they all should have been trying to do, but they were all too stupid and you figured it out. And then he went off and did him like the main craven did himself in again. Like, oh my god, he's becoming the Hawkman of Marvel. Like, it's just pick a lane, stick with it with Craven, you know? Right. Written by Ron Zimmerman, Ugh. who was a like he was a comedy writer, and again, you know, maybe Ron's been canceled a couple times uh in recent <laughs> years. Um, but this was uh, Craven's son returned with no explanation, going to Hollywood and attempting to make movies, and he runs afoul to with two movie producers who are definitively supposed to be the Weinstein brothers, oh, but not my. named the Weinstein brothers. Okay. Highest recommendation not to avoid, or to avoid rather. I was just, just I'm not sure not what I'm supposed to do. To avoid, yes. Okay. Um, but, you know, we get more of Craven, you know, doing what he can to protect Peter while all the time having these visions that something terrible is going to happen to Mary Jane. Maybe Grim Hunter is the one that does it. Mm -hmm. Let's see what happens on the Peter side of things over in Web of Death for the next two weeks. Right. Um, because I hope he's okay. Because we've been having visions of him sleeping somewhere. In right. the, and I hope, because I, the one thing that I want to make sure of is because during all this, they cut to Peter and he's asleep on a roof because apparently he's been poisoned by the vulture. 
and then this issue has like a terrible snowstorm. So if Peter isn't like snow covered sleeping on a roof, editors need to be fired in 19, you know, whatever it was. 94. Right. We'll get there. So next week, uh, Todd will be reading the first two chapters of Web of Death, Amazing Spider-Man 397, and Spectacular Spider-Man 220. And then I'll be reading three issues of Jonah Hex, issues 13, 14, 15. It's one of the rare times that it's a multi-part story, so I ended up having you do all three at once. Gotcha. All right. So I think... We might lean up a little bit here as we get to some of the Spider-Man stuff after. Uh, no, it's going to be a little while. It's like two issues, two issues, two issues, kind of all on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're getting there. Yeah, we only have like, what, 10 more months to go? Yeah, something like that. No, no, no. We get to a bunch where it's like one issue a month, like one issue a week. Right. Of I know Jonah Hex at that one point it becomes a lot of one issues. Yeah. I don't know about clone saga. I have to look over the issues again. For sure. I have the list. So like I that's what too. we have for next week. If you want the full list of what we're gonna be reading uh throughout the year, you can ask me, I'll send it to you and we can go over that at your leisure if you'd like. Um back over at uh longboxheroes.com, be sure to check out our store where you can purchase uh, shirts and pins and stickers with our fancy logo on them. You could also head over to our Tee Public store where everything is on sale for the next three days, 35% off, where you can get uh, artwork on anything that you could possibly imagine inspired by this show, Longbox Heroes After Dark, Add Odds with Wrestling, and Final Wrestling Place. Uh, you could also help us out by signing up for our Patreon by helping yourself out and getting two extra episodes of Todd and I together once a month for as little as a dollar a month, previewing the past where we look at that year's previous catalog 30 years ago to the month. Uh, you could hear a little bit more of the adventures and the building of that over on After Dark as we're discussing how that's coming along with the, my sickness involving all of this. And of course... Uh, six never be- six never seen movies. This past week, Todd had me watch a movie I've never seen before, which was The Highlander. And uh, next week, we'll discuss here what the next movie I'll be assigning for Todd to kind of entice you, the listeners, to sign up for the Patreon. And hey, if you want those Patreon episodes before everyone else, two weeks before everyone else, you can go up to the $5 level. You also get After Dark about three days before everybody else. So you get to listen to the show in the correct listening order which I live it, and I hear from other people that is the preferred way to listen to the show, if so inclined. Yes, I hear it too. Well, you don't hear it either. You live it. There's a difference. Well, I mean, uh, but I hear lots of things in my head that I'm not supposed to talk about. Oh, gotcha. One more way that you can help out the show is, of course, making any and all of your purchases from Amazon through our Amazon link at the top of the page over at longboxheroes.com. They call it an advertising fee. I call it the thing that makes Todd happy at the end of the month when he gets his share of the uh, advertising fee. Mm-hmm. Some of the notable purchases through the Amazon click-through this past week include somebody purchased the Kindle editions of the latest Star Wars films, Force Awakens, Rise of Skywalker, and The Last Jedi. Um, all of them say expanded edition. Ooh. And, uh, you know... 
I know my brother would always tell me that, no, no, um, Revenge of the Sith is good. It's a good movie. You have to read the book to understand it. And I said, I ain't read no book to make a movie good. Mm-hmm. That ain't my thing. Mine either. Uh, someone also uh, purchased the Lego City Police Highway Arrest set. Uh, somebody also purchased the Funko Pop Year of the Shield Winter Soldier figure. And somebody also purchased from the back catalog of Diamond Select Toys a Statler and Waldorf two-pack of action figures. Hey, Todd, I hear the Muppets are on the Disney+. Plus. They are on the Disney+, Plus, Joe. Now, do they put everything up all at once, intact, with musical numbers and so forth? Or is there uh, licensing issues? Or is it Disney and they just get what they want? Okay, all the episodes are up there, except for two. Um, uh, we'll get, I'll get to those in one second. Mostly everything is up there. Uh, uh, mostly everything is up there except for a few episodes have been trimmed for song rights, but they're working on that. The two that are not up there, I believe are Brooke Shields episode isn't up there because it, it delves highly, uh, like with a wizard of Oz theme and the wizard of Oz, like the music rights are notorious. Like that's, they guard them. And then the other one was uh, a replacement host when Richard Pryor couldn't host the Muppet Show. They got somebody else who was one of the writers. And they found years ago problematic stuff on his computer. Mm. So they will never put his episode up. He's incarcerated right now, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, That's very surprising that Richard Pryor was unreliable. Um, I think he had a prior engagement that he had to take care of. Mm. Richard had a prior engagement. Is that what you're insinuating? Yes. And lastly, but not leastly, as a follow-up from last week's purchases, Mm -hmm. uh, someone, a listener, is attempting to become a chess grandmaster as they purchased 100 Endgames You Must Know, Vital Lessons for Every Chess Player, the U.S. Chess Federation Commemorative Spiral Chess Scorebook, and 1,001 Chess Exercises for Beginners. That's right. Lift the piece, move the piece, put it down, repeat. Maybe they they bought like a weighted chess set. So the pieces like weigh like 40 pounds each. What if they had like increments of chess pieces? Like this is the start out. This is like the one pound chess piece. Oh, some sort of, like, maybe, like, some sort of even combination chess piece shake weight, maybe? Oh, yes. Like, definitely. Or a magnetic, or a magnetic piece and a metal chess board. So it's really hard to lift the pieces off. Like, you gotta work. But then you pull that piece off and you're causing such a a, uh, vibration with the board, all the other pieces shake. But no, if they're all magnetized, then they shouldn't shake, right? Exactly. All right. Fixing those problems before we have them, Joe. I, I was going to say, I'm picking up what you're putting down. It's just taking me a lot of effort to do so. That's right. I got chess arms. Gadoosh. <laughs> so good luck to you in your, uh, whoever you are out there, your quest, your journey to become a uh, chess grandmaster. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Todd, do we have any art attacks this week? We do. Rebecca's art sent in a water nymph. 
Um, it's the, the rough beginnings of it. And I do like it very expressive eyes and smile peeking over what I believe is going to be a rock in the water. I really enjoy that. I will make this, uh, request to Rebecca as she listens to the show. Hopefully, uh, some of these, uh, unfinished pieces like this, um, let's revisit. I'd like to see them revisited. I'd like to see the further progression of these. I agree. To see how they uh, end up coming out. Uh, you know, sometimes it might just be a sketch and you're done with it. But, uh, you know, if you ever revisit something to finish finish it, let us know. I'd love to check it out. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, Concierge Comic, Dan, sent in. He goes, does this count as a Todd's Art Attack? He doesn't have her tag, but it's from Annie the Kitty, Becky from the comic shop. Um, and it's his packing from the shipment that she got. And it's a little Wicket uh, character from Star Wars with written above, how does Wicket get around Endor, Joe? He walks. I cannot condone this kind of humor, Joe. This I was going to say, I, think, I, I hope she's giving you royalties for what she's uh, <laughs> ripping off from your playbook. There. I was going to say, this is this sounds like something that I should be doing. So um, good, good on you. I... I Secretly, Joe, I really enjoyed that joke. Okay, I'm <laughs> saying it quietly so nobody hears me. That's oh, a good I don't one. think it's a secret. Mm-hmm. But also, you could have used it of a how does Wicket cook his Chinese food? A wax. Now, nah, see, that doesn't work. It doesn't. But so, thanks everyone sharing your uh, cool art that you had, whether it's stuff that you're working on, stuff that you got, stuff that you purchased, stuff that you commissioned. Uh, be sure to uh, tag Todd's Art Attack in that, and we'll be sure to uh, share it with the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Now, I think at this point, uh, we're going to wrap up the main portion of the show, and we're going get to gonna get into some spoiler-filled discussion here of uh, WandaVision. Is that correct? I believe so. Now, I do also, I would be remiss not to mention here as we talk about the um, schedule of how everything is looking on the TV side of things, right? Right. So we are a week away from the return of The Flash, which means we'll be talking about that in two weeks. Mm -hmm. Which means we'll have a little bit of crossover with WandaVision and The Flash there. But then, shortly after that, I think on the 19th of March is when Falcon Winter Soldier picks up. Right, I believe there's a week between WandaVision and Winter Soldier because they do that legend show mm-hmm. where whatever show that they're going to do, they uh, they get you recapped on everything you need to know. So. Yes. And now tentatively on the schedule starting March 26th over on Amazon Prime uh, from the Robert Kirkman, Ryan Otley image comic, the Invincible animated series is starting there. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not we're going to be covering that on the show is going to be a time constraint sort of thing. Right. Um, but we'll, uh, you know, I'll definitely uh, attempt to give it a whirl to see if we could fit it in the schedule. I know from what I read that first week that it comes out, they're dropping three episodes. Ah, okay. And then it's going to be a new episode every week. See, I've, I know nothing about any of this. So, I mean, the comic, because I never read it. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, big fan of the comic, uh, mm-hmm. and from what I understand, it is going to be as faithful as an ad- adaptation as it possibly can be. 
So I am excited for it. Um, just so you know, I'm pushing for a yes on watching it for the show, but we shall see. Maybe I'll push for a no and see who wins. That's right. All right. So just to let you know what the TV stuff is going to look like here in the coming month or so as things are ending, beginning and returning. Um, when we do have the little bit of crossover with Flash and WandaVision, we're still going to put WandaVision at the very, very end of things. That's the hotter, quote-unquote, thing, the more, the more um, can-be-spoiled thing. Right. So with that being said, we're just going to take that brief moment so I know where I could uh, do my little cut for talk of WandaVision. Okay, so everyone's so patting themselves on the back with the genre discussions of WandaVision. This felt more like a modern family than anything else. I know a lot of people were like, oh, it's going to be like The Office. And, you know, I would say that The Office kind of inspired modern family, but I would say that if you're going to line something up with this episode to anything else, it's going to be modern family over The Office. Yes, no, maybe. I definitely agree, and I'm sad that it wasn't a nod to the Russo brothers. They should have did Arrested Development. Just get, uh, just get Richie Cunningham to do the the narration. Oh, I would have popped for that. They could have even just did one where Wanda's talking to the kids, and uh, she says, "Oh, everything's fine with your father." And then you hear Opie Cunningham as the neighbor, the narrator say, "Uh." He's not. Or, like, you know what I mean? Everything wasn't fine. Right. Everything wasn't fine. And she's like, did you hear that? Mm-hmm. I like that idea. If that happens right. in the ne- the next episode, we know uh, they stole your idea. Right, right. Um. So, it appears as though Wanda is starting to lose control. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything in the house kind of keeps flipping back and forth. Between the different time periods, the different settings, the different everythings. Yep. Um, so she's... Um, uh, so the kids are asking, of course, where Vision is. He's not there. And Wanda says, if he doesn't want to be here, then he doesn't have to be here. But it's not that easy because he can't escape, right? Right. Um, so uh, Agnes comes over and she says, I'll take the kids off your hand. You need a day alone to yourself to kind of clear your head, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so while that was going on, uh, we saw at the end of the last episode, the hex was extended further. It ate up some of the sword encampment. And one of the people that got sucked into it was Darcy. Now she's part of a circus. She's an escape artist. She's paired up with the Vision. Vision knows what's going on. Uh, knows that he tried to reach out to her. So he gives her, like, the touch to kind of free right. her mind from everything. Mm-hmm. So now she's on the trolley. The two of them are working together to get away, to get to Wanda, to figure out what's going on. But also in the midst of this... Uh, Jimmy and Monica find out that um, Hayward was working on something called Project Cataract, which was trying to bring Vision back online. I do like that pun. Of course you do. He's trying to get his Vision back. Yes. Oh, boy. 
Um, so I guess is it Wanda is hearing everyone's voices? Uh, no, or no, no, Billy. Billy hears everyone's voices. Right, but when he goes over to Agnes's house, he's right. like, "I like it here. It's quiet." Yeah. Uh, related but unrelated, our commercial is for a new stress reliever drug called Nexus. My favorite commercial by far of the bits. Mm-hmm. I think we're away from the theory that was floated last week uh, in regards to them being Infinity Gemstone related. Um, because isn't this Wanda was at one point of the comics like a Nexus point of reality? Yes, I believe. But I also believe that this was the last of the, the Infinity Stones. Wasn't it? Oh, like, okay, so it is. It is my mistake. Right. But I think it is like it was like, oh, like, don't the whole thing was for drugs or whatever. And I want to say, was it the reality stone that they were probably doing? Or something like that. So it would have the nexus of realities. I think it all comes together. I'm not doing it very much justice, but I think it is the last of the the stones. Hmm. Stones. I keep selling stones. Gems. I don't care. You know they're supposed to be gems. Yes. But, so we'll see. But I do think it has something to do with the nexus of reality. Mm -hmm. Now, back to outside the hex. Uh... Mo- or, uh, yeah, Monica calls in the people that are still loyal to her at S.W.O.R.D. And she is going to get inside the Hex. Mm-hmm. They bring a heavily armed space rover. They fit her up in a full space outfit, helmet and all. And she drives it straight to the ne- the Hex. And it ain't getting through. It starts to get unwritten by the Hex. And Monica gets out in time. Uh, before the space rover is completely... Doesn't, like, it half become, like, an old pickup truck or something? Yeah, because it goes through and then gets shot out, so it's half rewritten as the space rover half, uh, half like, I don't know, like a box truck or something like that. Right, so Monica's just like, I'm going to do it. Um, I'm going to go in. You know, this will be the third time that I'm completely rewritten from a structural structural basis. What's the worst that could happen? And that's her superhero origin now. She gets uh, superpowers. Yeah, because doesn't that spacesuit look an awful lot like a black and white version of the Photon costume? Kind of sort of does. It does, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Um, so she goes in. She makes a beeline right to Wanda's house. And Wanda's like, you need to leave. Uh, I don't want you here. And Monica is just kind of like, listen. You know, if you want me gone, you know, get rid of me. And Wanda can't. And she's like, the only time I ever did anything here that I didn't want to do was when you made me. Mm -hmm. She's like, I'm here to help regardless of whatever else is going on, whatever else has happened. I'm here to help. Well, it's at this point where Agnes intervenes on what's going on between Monica and Wanda. She sends Monica off and brings Wanda into her house. Mm-hmm. And while all this going on, it's Darcy and Vision trying to make it back to the house. But a series of comical events is stopping Vision from getting back in the funnel cake truck, which is a great way to, for the Vision to travel. But also, Darcy gives Vision the full 
Megillah on his whole life. Like you died, blah, blah, blah. Like he, now he knows everything. Right. So now inside Agnes's house, Wanda comes in, she sits down. She sees like the half eaten food TV on a kid's program. None of the kids around. So she asks where the boys are. And Agnes tells her that they're down in the basement. And Wanda goes down into the basement. And uh, the basement seems certainly very creepy, doesn't it? Just a smidge. And Agnes is shortly behind her. And then we get the montage to end the show that it was Agatha all along. Mm -hmm. And we see everything from the previous episodes, how Agnes, now Agatha has been pulling the strings behind everything. She's yes. been the one who's been manipulating Wanda to do everything. Yes. The only and this is only the slight problem that I have with the whole episode and the series is in that scene, it's great to say it was Agatha all along, but we know who Agatha is. You know, I know who Agatha is. You know who Agatha is from reading comics. I feel like it lays flat if you've never read a comic and don't know who Agatha Harkness is. Do you know what I mean? It's like, hey, it was Agatha all along. You should have known. And it's like, well, how would anybody who's never, you know, who's just watching the TVs and movies know what the heck you're talking about with this? Because if you had just said, if it's Agnes... Yes. But not this character. It just seems like the name reveal people are supposed to know, and it's just irrelevant to most people. Uh, does it make, make sense at all what I'm trying to say? It does. It does. Mm -hmm. I, I get what they were going for, but and I get why it works for us. And I'll even go you one more. Um, I know when we talked about is episodes two and three, and we talked about the actress who played Kitty from that 70s show, Right. Right. Um, Deborah Jo Rupp. In her original appearances, when I looked it up on IMDb, she was listed on IMDb as Agatha. It has oh. since been changed to Mrs. Hart. I wonder if that was, if Agnes was masquerading as Agatha. You know what I mean? Because That's Agatha a good question. Isn't Agatha older? Yes. So I'm wondering if this is like a look for her, but her real, like, as the neighbor, you know what I mean, is what she looks like. But what she really looks like is Agatha, like, from 70s show. So I'll, right, so I'll even go, right, so it could be, that could even end up being the reveal that it's the same character who is playing two different roles during the course of the series, mm -hmm. and them on IMDb listing her name initially as Agatha was a mistake because of this reveal here. Mm -hmm. I know I wasn't like, I know I didn't make it up. That, Cause when I remember I saw it when I looked at the IMDB for page for episodes one and two. Mm -hmm. I, I need to screenshot these things. Yes. Cause I even remember you were like, you don't hire a name actress like that and then give her a bit part. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's not weird. even a name actress, a recognizable actress. Right. Somebody whom you may not know the actress's name, but I know her from a thousand things. You know yes. what I mean? So I like this episode, but I'm with you in that the reveal of Agnes being Agatha 
seemed to be too cute for its own good. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of other bits in the show. And while I thought it was funny of Darcy and Vision being delayed by all the comical things of like the kids crossing the street and the road work and everything else. And you could make the excuse that Vision had just had his entire life laid out to him, which is why he didn't realize, oh, I could just phase and fly away and leave Darcy here to deal with this. Mm -hmm. He could have done that sooner. But if he doesn't do that sooner, then all the other stuff in the plot doesn't happen. Right. Now, a quick question. Who was doing all that? Well, I would assume that that was Agatha. Right. Because because... we even get the bit where, from the previous episode, where she's stuck outside the town, and she got lost, and then Vision has to give her the touch to see what's really going on, and then she apparently fakes that she's being kept there by Wanda. Mm Mm-hmm. To throw Vision off the trail, to throw us, the viewers, off the trail. Right, because during the episode, it seemed like, because it seemed like even Vision said, it was like, it seems like uh, uh, Wanda doesn't want me to come home. She's throwing stuff up. But in the end, it's like, oh, maybe it was Agatha, you know? Like, so I don't know. It seems like a little vague on that. But, you know, maybe we'll get answers in the next episode, the, the extra long episodes, apparently. Oh boy. It's, it's, it's when they say that these are extra long episodes, it's like almost like it's a, it's a threat. Yes. But, and then there was an after credit scene, Joe. Yeah. But that's the thing. Like, was this after credits scene that's, uh, I don't know. It's just like, uh, Pietro was there and that was it. And he says, uh, what's it say? Snooper's going to snoop. Yeah, but I think it's because 2000 was when we started getting after credit scenes in Marvel movies. Oh, so it had to be there? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, like, like uh, Iron Man was the first one to get an after credit scene, blah, blah, blah. So it's like, well, now we're into the decade where stuff has, and I almost cursed, has after uh, <laughs> after credit scenes. I don't know. That's just a weird thought that I have. Yeah, but like I said, this was a this was a good episode, but I think they think this reveal of Agnes being Agatha is cuter than it actually is. I agree, and I also think that up to this point, I think this is the weakest episode of the whole bunch because it's the one time that the thing that they were aping surpasses the TV show that we're watching. Do you know what I mean? Like, if you're watching Bewitched, like, Bewitched isn't a big bar to get over for writing and acting. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was it was 60 Styles TV, which was very cookie-cutter, blah, blah, blah. You know, here's the misunderstanding of the week or whatever. So, I think the TV shows look better and are acted better and, you know, are written better than the old older TV shows. But when you get to, we're going to do a parody of modern family or arrested development or the office, AKA the documentary TV shows that a lot of these things are that this is the first time it fell short because the writing is way better in 2000 for those shows. Uh, and just the way they're acting, it just seemed like it was still everyday cookie cutter sitcoms if i don't know if i'm making any sense it just didn't surpass what you were parroting is the best way yeah but 
So, but I, you know, it's not going to, we still have two episodes, so I'm not going to let that bother me. But like I said, least, least the, the, the episode I like the least of all the episodes. Yeah. And I'm sure they're going to lay some more groundwork. They're going to give us some more information to kind of further flesh out the, the why and the how of Agnes, Agatha. Mm-hmm. And then that's going to set up for the big brouhaha at the end for the final episode. Uh, I have faith this far. It just felt as though this, I'm, I'm with you. This was the weakest episode to date. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and then listen, have... six, six home runs and a triple, you know, I don't know. All right. Six homes run. And I'll give you a double, but okay. Um, two quick questions. Cause you were saying you think maybe the nexus of reality kind of has a thing going on here, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think we'll see man thing, the guardian of the nexus of realities? That'd be pretty cool. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. And then I'm trying to think of what the other... I had another question, but I lost well, it. Well, while you're thinking, of course, what I what I think it is, Wanda is that nexus of reality, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Agatha knows this, finds this, and attempts to exploit this, right? Right. Um, and that's why she's been manipulating her to try to gain access, control, or whatever to this nexus of reality through Wanda who is going through this trauma. But obviously, to get to that point, we need more information on Agnes Agatha to figure out her motives other than just, I'm evil, right? Right. We're going to get we're gonna get her spinoff show. And the this is the Al's gals for uh, WandaVision, Joe. Right. Now, the other thing, and a friend of mine pointed this out on Twitter, my friend Chris mentioned, um, so we are given a timeline on this, you know, I, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, it's like, we are given a specific timeline of when this happens, right? hmm And that this happens, like, right after the blip of the five years. And correct me if I'm wrong, if we are putting everything together chronologically, this WandaVision takes place before Spider-Man Far From Home. I, You know what? That's something that I heard, too, yes. So... When we get the end from Spider-Man Far From Home, where the other J. Jonah Jameson shows up at the end of that, with no real explanation, does that now tie into this? Right. It could be. I don't know. Mm. I'm with you. That's an interesting take on it. Yeah, but but are they also saying that that J Jonah Jameson is our J Jonah Jameson anyway in this universe? You know, right? Or is that reality reknitting reknitting itself with the three different at least cinematically versions of Spider Man, and now whatever it is because he was off in another country, we they don't realize that these things are knitting back together. But once they, it's not like. Peter saw that at the end of Far From Home and is like, that's not the Jonah I remember. Right. He just looks and is like, that's J. Jonah Jameson. We look and say, that's a different J. Jonah Jameson. That's the original J. Jonah Jameson. Right. Even though there was never a J. Jonah in any of the other, in the Garfield or this one, right? I don't think so. That's what I thought. I think they didn't have one because with the Garfield one, they were afraid because they were fresh off of him being J. Jonah Jameson. And as far as I'm concerned, top five actual like versions of any comic character, like nailing it, like Absolutely. just just getting it right. So I think they were afraid with Garfield. And then 
obviously there wasn't a J. Jonah in the first Spider-Man with uh, Toby, not Toby Maguire, who's the the modern Spider-Man. But either way, um, and then this is the first mention that I think that we're getting of it. And now, like you're saying, maybe it is because now we go into Doctor Strange, the multiverse. After this, movie-wise. Because obviously Black Widow was, as we've said before, was supposed to be out, and that was more of a prequel movie anyway. Right. Right. So, but we still didn't find out who the astrophysicist is, did we? No. So, still hoping for Reed. That's all I'm going to say. That would be interesting. I'm excited. There's still a lot left. Um, Like I said, you know, we made it this far. I, I I feel as though they're going to stick the landing. It just you know, a little bit you, of a speed bump with this this episode, and we're definitely in the minority. I think. No, I get a lot you. more people enjoyed this one, had a lot more fun with it than we did. I agree, especially uh, your buddy the boar. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll see. Which two my episodes ago, I'm looking forward to them. For sure. So I guess that's it here. Yes. Wrapping up episode 543, Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. You're listening to the soon-to-be-named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Network.